0: deleted scenes. What if Waz did the iPod spoof? Hello, I said into my cell phone, not recognizing the number on the caller ID. Scott, it's Waz. None of my friends would thought this would be a funny gag to play on me, so I knew it was really him. We just finished this shoot, he continued, and I think the video is going to turn out great. The crew was very funny, and I had a lot of fun dancing around and filming it. In fact, I had such a great time, I think I'm going to try and get on that show Dancing with the Stars. Was that's great, I replied. So happy we could work together on this. My pleasure, Scott. It's a shame we couldn't meet up this time. Hopefully soon. I think the spoof is going to be hilarious, and I can't wait to see the final product. My next call was to the video director's shooter editor. I relayed to him that Waz enjoyed the experience, and I pushed him hard on the completion date. He reminded me of the terms of the original deal we made. He would get 10 cents for every view the video got over 1 million. In retrospect, I probably should have renegotiated after Waz offered to be in it. It was too late now. About a week later, and with barely any changes from me, a rare occurrence, the video debuted on YouTube. When Waz said we would meet up hopefully soon, he was right. The video went viral, thanks in large part to the strong online tech community that loved everything Apple. YouTube was slash-dotted when the popular site covered the story of the video and gave a behind-the-scenes look at the making of it. We topped 5 million views in a week. Woz was invited on the talk show circuit by everyone from MSNBC to the Today Show to the Colbert Report. As another testament to his generosity, he invited me along and shared equal screen time with me. Just as the buzz began to die down, it was announced that the producers of Dancing with the Stars saw the iPod spoof video and invited Waz to compete because of it. By popular demand, he did a version of the iPod Shuffle as his dance came to be known, and that name inspired Apple to name their new device the iPod Shuffle. The dance became an instantly recognizable part of his TV persona, and this was like his signature move at the end of every dance, like a touchdown ritual. The last gesture, putting his hands into his pockets with a final flourish, linked him inextricably to Scotty Vest. Scotty Vest sold out, literally and completely. We sold every stitch, every pocket of inventory. I started taking pre-orders again, and the pre-orders for future items totaled nearly as much as we had sold in the history of Scotty Vest to date. There was a buzz in the Silicon Valley VC community that Scott Evest was a hot property. Google foresaw a trend toward wearable computers, and what's more wearable than clothing? Apple saw the same trend. I had some of the biggest choices ahead of me. Acquisition, IPO, or both? We went IPO, and I retained 51%, with Apple and Google splitting most of the rest. We rang the bell together at the NASDAQ. What if... I never got that call from Hamasher on my darkest day in the shrink's office. Hello, I said into my cell phone, the air heavy with anticipation. Mark Oster, my hypnotherapist, sat across from me in his chair while I leaned forward on the couch. I was expecting a call back from Hamasher Schlemmer about whether they wanted my vest for their catalog or not. This was a make-or-break day and a make-or-break moment. If it was a yes, I was in business. All my mental ills would vanish in a moment, and Mark would lose me as a patient. Still, I think he was rooting for me. If it was a no, then I was fucked. No job, broken dream, a failure. My father would be right. My former lawyer co-workers would be right. Even worse, I would have no idea what to do next. Hello? I repeated with more intensity, more anxiety, more urgency. Oh, hey Scott, this is Jill from Hamasher Schlemmer. I'm really sorry, but we're not going to be able to carry your vests. We're just not really getting the concept, and it felt like I was hitting the head with a brick. I hung up the call. I'm sorry, Scott. Truly, I am. Mark's voice was genuine and soothing, but I was stuck in the tornado of thoughts tearing up my mind. Scott. Scott! I startled back into awareness of my surroundings. What felt like a steel box with walls collapsing even smaller around me became his office once again. Yes, doctor, I asked, unsure whether he actually was a doctor or not. We still have 30 minutes left. Let's continue. There could be no continuing for me. No next steps. No nothing. This wasn't a slow, creeping fear that seeps into your soul. This was the fear of a pack of angry wolves appearing behind you, A fear that says fight and flight. Whatever works, as long as you get out of here. Scott, you look like a potted plant. Involuntarily, my head pulled back. What? Scott, you look like a potted plant. I had no idea what he meant by that, and I told him so. Scott, you were spinning. We need to interrupt that pattern so you can start thinking in an orderly fashion. Take a deep breath, hold it for four seconds, and then exhale. And again. Now again. Close your eyes and imagine yourself as a potted plant. Don't. Scott. Stop. Don't try to rationalize it. Just go with it. Scott. Breathe. Good. Now imagine what you look like as a potted plant. The color of the pot, the material and texture, the shape and color of each leaf. As he continued to talk in his professionally prescribed monotone voice, I did feel things starting to fall into place. Of course, each time he said potted or pot, I could only think of a marijuana plant, which amused me a little. I felt myself going deeper and deeper into something as my body relaxed from my scalp and face muscles through my chest and back and all the way down to my toes. I heard his words continuing in the background, but it felt like I was floating in a warm, bath-like pool. I still felt my intensity, but I felt physically dulled. My mind remained clear. A plan began to crystallize. I would call my contact, who worked with Mickey Siegel, and get a job there. Of course, there were rumors the feds were looking into him, but the guy owned this town. Even if he did get in trouble, his company and holdings would continue without him. The call was brief, as was the interview. I had never expected to actually be interviewing with the man himself. After all, I was a lawyer, and I'm sure he had plenty of lawyers. We hit it off. It turned out that he loved racing, well, horse racing, but my passion for cars struck a nerve with him. Dispensing all formalities, he hired me on the spot. I don't know what I was so afraid of. Being a lawyer in his organization was nothing like being a lawyer at the firms where I had been working. There were dinners, meetings with business owners and politicians, there was no tracking a billable time. I wouldn't have come close to 200 hours per month even if anyone was keeping score. And for that, the pay was undoubtedly great. I even got to accompany him in a helicopter across town to make a meeting when the traffic was gridlocked. thousands of feet below. Laura was happy because I was happy, but there was always some doubt behind her eyes. She knew I wasn't doing anything illegal, but something smelled funny. Eventually, an indictment did come down. The feds raided the office, seized box after box after box of files, and carted my boss off in handcuffs. I coordinated efforts with his high-priced and favor-indebted legal team to make sure he had everything he needed. Three weeks had passed when I heard a knock on my office door and saw the lead defense lawyer standing there. He pointed to me, then curled his finger a few times to motion me over. "'Yeah, Aaron, what do you need?' I said until I was cut off mid-sentence by two FBI agents pushing me face-first into the wall. The ratcheting sound of the cuffs around my wrists gave me all the answer I needed. Sitting in jail, I worked through all the ways I could have been set up to be the fall guy. A few pieces here and there, maybe, but this was ridiculous.' It wasn't until the charges were announced that I understood the full extent of it, and after seven years in federal prison, I still hadn't quite figured out every piece of the deception, the betrayal. I felt like a wrongly accused lawyer stuck in the middle of a real-life Scott Turow novel. Laura stood by me through the trial, but the fact that I was stupid enough to be duped like that eroded her respect for me. She has no tolerance for stupid, I had no will to fight for her or anything from prison, and she left me. I don't blame her. When I got out, I had a sick laugh at the fact that I could never be a lawyer again. At least that part of my wish came true. Oh, and I got a tattoo. When I snap my fingers, you will cease being a potted plant. Open your eyes and wake up. Three, two, one, snap. I awoke with a start and frantically touched my chest, arms, and face. The crude India ink and safety pin prison tattoo of a Porsche 911, sick, was no longer covering the back of my hand. I was alive, I was awake, I was not a felon, and I was still in my hypnotherapist's office. So Scott, do you know now what you need to do? He asked as calmly as can be. Absolutely, I replied. That day, I went out, bought some gardening supplies, ceramic planters, and grow lights. It took years of hard work, but today, I'm the largest grower of medicinal marijuana in the entire Midwest. I'm now vying for the title of czar of legal pot as legalization spreads across the country. And I've never gone under hypnosis or worked as a lawyer ever again. What if I took over my family business? Hello, I said into my cell phone. Scott, it's your father. I need to tell you something. He proceeded to tell me a story that I never thought I would hear from him. He told me that there was an offer on the table to buy the family business. A good offer. An offer that could send him into a comfortable retirement. And he told me he was turning it down. Scott, I need you to promise me, to really, really promise me, that you won't make me regret not selling the business. You need to step it up. Can you do that? I nodded. Then realizing he couldn't see me over the phone, I said, Yes. I was in the family business, and within five years, I was the family business. My mother passed away, but my father and I drew closer together. Honestly, it was nothing emotional. It was only that I made him money. After he showed a little faith in me by deciding to keep the business in the family, something opened up. I started to take my work seriously. I saw the effect that I could have on people in their time of need and before, and I approached cemetery sales with some compassion. It actually became something I felt passionate about. This translated into money, good money. My father was happy since he could retire, and he knew that I wouldn't destroy the business he built up over so many years. We finally had something in common, and it turned out to be money. From this point, things could have played out in a few different ways. My father and I might have a good relationship based on the business. I would still be living in Cincinnati, enjoying the country club life, married to a nice Jewish girl who couldn't cook to save her soul, but was a loving mother to our kids. I'd splurge on a sports car to compensate for my growing waistline, and have been in the hospital with my dad when he died. All in all, it would be a fairly happy but uninteresting life, and you would never have crossed paths with me. Another scenario is that the family business is split between my two sisters and me after my father dies. I continue to run it, but they each get a third of what I make without spending a minute working, just because their names were on the will. We fight over money constantly, and my brothers-in-law expect a raise every six months, even when they don't show up for work three days in a row. My life is messy, and each of my expenses on the company ledger is subject to my sister's scrutiny. I keep writing checks to them each month based on my work for no good reason, and life sucks. My third fantasy is that I apply the same spark that makes Scott Vest successful and make a splash in the world of cemetery sales. The family business is highly lucrative, much better than my father was able to make it, and I realize I have a knack for it. I start buying up every cemetery in the country and become known as the Donald Trump of cemeteries. My competitors call me the Donald Trump of the dead. People are dying to get into my properties. Laura and I happen to meet, and life goes on rather happily with our poodle family. Eventually, I branch out into real estate for the living, too. Tired of being nicknamed the Donald Trump of cemeteries, I bought his company and renamed it Scott E. State. We open a themed amusement park called Scott Eland the next month. What if my recurring nightmare came true? Hello? I said into my cell phone. Hello? Hello? I repeated, louder and more intensely, as it continued to ring loudly and incessantly, regardless of how many times I tried to answer it. After a minute of screaming at the mocking, ringing phone, consciousness seeped in, and I realized it was a dream. The phone that wouldn't stop ringing was really my alarm clock. I had been having the nightmare again, but the nightmare I awoke to was even worse than the one I dreamt, because it was an inescapable reality from which I could not awaken, I was in my third dead-end job with my fourth asshole boss. After I couldn't get my idea for a fishing vest with pockets for gadgets to take off, and yeah, even I admit now, it was a stupid idea, I had to find a job. I tried life in a law firm as of counsel, but every day was like being the fat kid when it came time to pick teams for baseball. I didn't want to put up with the bullshit anymore, so I decided the corporate world was a better choice. But it was really the same choice. Since I was a lawyer, they attached me to any project that was even tangentially related to the law, and then they'd yell at me when I didn't know the obscure answer to something lawyerly. But you're a lawyer, aren't you? I still couldn't shake the scarlet L. My work was devoid of passion. My life was devoid of passion. My nightmares and my waking life are the same. I got fat and moved to the burbs. I became the person I feared I could become the mediocre, lawyerly version of myself. This is an actual nightmare I have every few months, and it feels like a fate worse than death. What if I ran for office? Hello, I said into my cell phone, nervous because it came from my campaign manager's office. This was not my first election campaign, and with every election campaign, you either win or lose. I had never lost yet. This would be the biggest disappointment if it was a disappointment, but it would be my clear stepping stone to the White House if it was a victory. I've always been fascinated by politics. I would describe myself as a Reagan Democrat or an Obama Republican. I'm definitely a contradiction in terms, but that was what people found appealing about me. The same old, same old politics wore down on people, and while I might not have been a breath of fresh air, at least I was something different. I was a terrible politician and people like that. I'm too transparent to lie. I can't promise things to people if I have no intention of keeping them. In a political landscape built around hope where the tomorrows never lived up to the promises, my jaded, almost cynical view of politics resonated with voters. It started locally in Sun Valley. One day while I was out walking the poodles, I slipped on some ice on the street and broke my elbow. Again, same side as before I went on Shark Tank. There was four inches of ice built up on the road. No one in town knows how to plow properly, and apparently using salt could somehow harm trout in a stream two miles away. I thought the whole thing was bullshit. For a mountain town whose income is based on winter tourists, having dangerous conditions was unacceptable. My arm in a sling, I appeared before the town council. The next year, I joined the town council, Then soon thereafter, I led the town council. When yet another airport bathroom sex scandal hit Idaho, Google Larry Craig, Idaho, I was able to run as the first independent in Idaho. If I won this election for the open Senate seat, I could follow Obama's path from first-term senator to president. In my run for the Senate, I picked up an unlikely political advisor, Sarah Palin. It turns out that she had been to a survivalist prepper convention in Alaska and bought a Scotty vest. She wanted to always be ready to run for office, run after a moose, and to run for her life. And the dozens of pockets of my vests helped her do exactly that. Strangely, at first she was confused. She was the only person ever to confuse my company for Scott USA. Hmm. My campaign was not too outlandish to her. She had been the mayor of a town smaller than mine, then became the governor of a state with fewer people than Idaho, then made a bid for VP. She could relate to my trajectory. My second in with her was that she had great friends with the governor of Idaho, Butch Otter. I shit you not. Google Butch Otter, Idaho. Hello? I repeated into my phone. I won. So, who thinks I should actually run for office? What if... I became an author and went on a national speaking tour. Hmm, I just became an author. How did I do? Obviously, I crave validation. Do you think I should go on a national speaking tour? Let me know at scottevest.com book. The end. Scott Jordan will return in his next thrilling book about how any entrepreneur can live their dreams from paradise with love. About the Photographer What makes a good portrait is oftentimes the emotion shared by a subject with a photographer. I've had the privilege of photographing Scott Jordan many times, and I'm honored that he chose some of these portraits for the front and back covers of this book. Like a great photograph, what makes a great book is similarly the emotion shared by the writer with the reader. Here Scott delivers an equally compelling version of his story to the world. Thomas Hawk thomashawk.com About the co-author Tom O'Leary makes letters into words and words into sentences makes lines into designs and designs into products sees the view from space and through the microscope makes it happen and gets it done find him at fixergroup.com books Okay, this is really the end close the book now. Oh, and get 20% off anything at Scotty Vest with the promo code found at scottyvest.com/bookend. I'm out of here. This has been Pocket Man by Scott Jordan with Tom O'Leary, narrated by Kyle Brock. Copyright 2015 Scott Jordan